So, for those of you who don't know Eric and Bethany Rasmussen, you'll notice there's a little similarity in the last name there to Pastor Steve Rasmussen. Um, Eric is my nephew. He was uh, born in Kenya and raised in Tanzania. Um, and uh, then was here as an intern, got a wonderful gift here that he got from us at uh, Bethel and uh, Cross Culture Community Church. And they are sent out from Cross Culture Community Church, our church plant in Northeast Minneapolis. And we also partner with them and, and support them regularly. And they are, uh, well, they're gonna tell you more about where they're at, but, uh, so Eric is my brother's son in Tanzania. We would say he's my son because we have a extended uh, family that way. And, um, and they're, uh, well, they can explain about their kids, but, but this, is, this is unique because Junie is the first Rasmussen born in Tanzania. Um, Bethany actually went to the hospital, was back the same day, so she is really quite a missionary. Um, and in Kigoma, so all the, Eric and his siblings were all born in Kenya because the, the healthcare in Kigoma wasn't that good or else his mom wasn't as brave as Bethany, one of the two. Um, so uh, I'm gonna let them take it from here. We're so glad to have them back here. They've been uh, in Tanzania, as you know, they were in Hawaii for five years pastoring in between here and Tanzania. And um, now they're back here for a little bit before they go back to Tanzania. So I'm gonna give you guys a chance to take it from here. Let's pray though. Lord, I just pray your blessing upon Eric and Bethany. Thank you for the work that you're doing through them. And we want to bless the work that they're going to do right now among us. We want to hear your word and be encouraged in the partnership that we have with Tanzania and with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess maybe one other explanation. A lot of the work that, that you guys hear about with TEAM happens in northwestern Tanzania. They're in western Tanzania and working in a lot of the rest of the country and Burundi and Congo. So um, it's all the same work just different parts of the country. So, here we go. Thank you. Well, it's uh, good to be back with you guys. Um, I have some great memories here. Got married in this building, actually. Uh, a little over eight years ago now. Our anniversary was December 28th. Um, but yeah, we are currently out in Tanzania, and we're working with training pastors and missionaries out there. Um, this is our second daughter, Junia, and uh, our oldest, Leslie, is at a sleepover at Grandma and Grandpa's house up in Alexandria, a two-night sleepover for her first sleepover. So, um, but she's doing great. She's having a blast up there. Um, and we are working, we're, we're primarily working with training Tanzanian missionaries and Tanzanian pastors. Um, mostly the training the pastors, but also working with the Tanzania East African School of Missions and training Tanzanians and East Africans to go as missionaries to unreached people groups. Um, the church in Sub-Saharan Africa is, is the fastest growing church in the world. Um, but along with that growth comes a huge need, which is trained pastors. Um, do we have the, the slides that... Well, for every, um, so it's projected that the, the church in sub-Saharan Africa is going to grow by about 15 million per year for the next 40 years. Um, and it's going to eventually, 60% of the world population of Christians is going to be in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so along with that comes a huge need. 
we need to be training pastors. We need to be training um, leaders of the churches. And so we do a lot of work with that. Um, it's really a blast. I really love working with these pastors. I love teaching these classes. Um, the classes are a lot of fun. So I'm primarily working with teaching, with training. Um, we, we worked in Hawaii for five years. And then after our five-year commitment was up there, we were praying, okay, God, what do you want next for us? And as we were praying about it and thinking about it, we really just felt like God was calling us back to Africa, back to Tanzania to work there. Um, Bethany is really doing great with learning Swahili and um, adjusting to the culture over there. Um, she's just done an amazing job. You know, when we were getting ready to go out, everyone was like, wow, you guys are so brave. And I was like, well, I'm going home. You know, she's the brave one. And uh, so she's been doing just a great job with that. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything on that. So um, Eric is, is the one that's primarily teaching right now. I've been mostly at, at home raising the girls. And um, like Eric said, um, learning Swahili. I have a tutor that comes once a week, and we're continuing our studies while we're here online with my um, with my Swahili teacher. Um, I had an opportunity to teach one class last year, an English class, while I was pregnant with Junia. Um, but we've just we've really settled into our life there. We're loving living in Kigoma next door to um, my in-laws, and. Um, we have our babysitters right next door, and it's just a great opportunity for the kids to grow up in, you know, a different culture, but also close to family at the same time. It's really a blessing, um, and we are, yeah, we're just really enjoying life there. So we thank you so much for your support and everything. So she might need to, um, <laughs> you want to say something? She just wants to eat the mic, that's all. <laughs> We're still teaching her about Corona, so. But yeah, so thank, I, we just want to say thank you to you guys as a church. Um, when we were setting out to, to start, you guys were the first church to come alongside of us and say, yes, we want to help support you guys, and you've been faithful through it, even with all the Corona ups and downs, and um, it was amazing. It really, for us, it was just amazing to see how God provided for us to go because we were trying to visit churches and fundraise in the midst of lockdowns, um, can't meet with more than 10 people in a place. And so it's kind of like our whole plan got thrown in a blender and yet somehow God still pulled it off and we we're still able to go within our time frame. Um, and we just, you know, every, every day that I'm out there working, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude for the, all the generous people who make it possible for us to be out there ministering by, through their giving. And in many ways, giving sacrificially because it's something that you're not going to benefit from, right? When you give to BCF, at least you know you get to benefit from some of the programs and stuff. But when you're giving to uh, missions overseas, you're really doing, a, it's a sacrificial giving because it's not something that you get an immediate benefit from. Um, you know, you'll get your reward when you get to heaven, but that's a, that's a long-term investment. Um, but it's a good return. And uh, so just wanted to say thank you guys so much for all of your support. We're, we're loving it. We're thriving over there. And uh, like I said, I just really enjoy the interaction with the students. Um, it's a lot of fun. We have three different programs. Uh, we have a diploma program, which is kind of the, the Bible basics. 
um, and then we have upper levels of programs. And for every, um, so for every trained Christian worker in sub-Saharan Africa, there are about 200,000 Christians. Um, in the U.S., just to give you a little perspective, it's about 450 Christians for every trained Christian worker. Um, so you think about the need is just massive. You know, I, I remember uh, my uncle Steve said, you know, when we when they went back in the 90s, or and my parents went back in the 80s, the need was big, and it's not that no work has been done. A lot of work has been done, but it's almost like the need is even bigger now, just because of the growth of the church there. Um, and you know, and we contend with a lot of things like a lot of prosperity gospel type teachings and um, just kind of distortions of the faith at the same time. So we're contending with a lot of those things. So we appreciate your prayer um, as we're training up just faithful ministers, people who are going to minister the, the gospel. So thank you guys very much. God bless you. Uh, Tanzania will have as many people, population uh, will be the same as the U.S. population currently by the end of the century, just in Tanzania. So you can think like, wow, well, we put in a lot of focus into Tanzania. There's a lot to be done. And of course, not just in Tanzania, but uh, all right, Eric, all right. let's bring us the word. Okay. Well, let's pray before we go to the word. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Lord, we thank you that you haven't just left us to stumble through life, to try and figure out how to do life on our own. But God, you have given us clear instruction. You've given us just clear commands, God. And you've laid out just a plan for salvation, a plan for knowing you that is clear, that is, I mean, even, even a child can grasp it, even at four years old. And God, I just pray that the, the message today, Lord, help me. Help me to speak it, God. Your word says that when, I'm, when I am weak, you show yourself strong. I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself strong today. God, that as the, as the word goes forth, Lord, that it would, it would have power for transformation. Lord, that our lives would be changed, that we would allow it to change us, allow it to shape us, God. Lord, that we would be people who are shaped more by your word than by the culture around us. God, that we wouldn't just stumble through life and happen to be Christian, but that we'd be, we would be intentionally, intentional followers of you, Lord. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, um, I want to talk to you guys about a danger for Christianity. And uh, it's, a, it's a massive danger. And um, I, I think, and there's an, a Christian author named A.W. Tozer who was writing back in the 40s and 50s um, who really agrees with me on this. And it's, it's the greatest danger to Christianity. Um, and no, it's not communism. No, it's not Roman Catholicism. No, it's not Islam. Uh, here, here's what it is. Um, it's the glaring disparity between our theology and our practice. I really think that this is, this is the biggest danger that we as believers face. You wouldn't know it by looking at Facebook, right? Because when you look at Facebook, it's always, they're the biggest danger. They're, they're, what's, they're the threat. Um, but in reality, the, di the disparity between our theology and our practice is probably the biggest danger that we as Christians face. Um, 
Let me just read this, this uh, quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there is any relation between them. Hmm. Um, Christians habitually weep and pray over beautiful truth only to draw back from that same truth when it comes to the difficult job of putting it into practice. Because, let's be honest, I mean, um, crucifying our flesh is not a pleasant thing. I mean, for us, you know, crucifixion, we've just kind of seen the still pictures, we've, we've seen, but, but crucifixion was, that was death, right? And a very gruesome death. It was so gruesome that Romans would actually say, you know, don't, don't even use that word, crucifixion, because um, it's so, uh, like, such an abomination, such a horrible way to die. And yet, um, one of the commands that Jesus gave was that we're to crucify the flesh. And yet, I think what we so often do is something that we see in Luke chapter 10. Uh, this wasn't in the list of scriptures that I, that I sent in earlier, so um, excuse me for that. But Luke chapter 10, go with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, um, and we'll read through 29. And this is right before we get into the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we've all heard many, many times. Um, but, but this, this exchange between Jesus and the, the teacher of the law, for me, is so convicting. Um, because I see myself in this teacher of the law so often. Uh, we look here and it says, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up and to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then the teacher um, does a little bit of you know, fancy, fancy hermeneutics, I like to call it, right? Where he says, okay, well, yeah, that's pretty clear, but, but who is my neighbor, right? And, it, and it, it says there in verse 29, it says, and desiring to justify himself, and desiring to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? And if I'm honest, oftentimes that's how I read the Bible, right? I read it, and there's this very clear command or this clear command in scripture take the sermon on the mount right i mean you want to talk about clear commands you know how we're to treat our neighbor how we're to treat our enemies even those who persecute us and i read that and then desiring to justify myself i say okay but what are the boundaries of this command right okay i'm supposed to turn the cheek cheek but you know how literal is that supposed to be you know um, I'm, I know I'm supposed to, to be generous with my possessions, but, you know, I kind of want this thing for myself, okay? I'll, I'll be generous. I, I'm generous compared to the world, maybe. And, and rather than taking the, the word of God at face value, we say, okay, but, but yeah, but, right? We always add a, a little yeah, but to the, the command. And we say, you know, Turn the other cheek. Yeah, but, you know, if somebody's taking advantage of you, then maybe don't, right? Um, 
you know, uh, and, and even things like divorce, right? The teachings of Scripture on divorce are pretty, pretty darn clear. And yet we say, yeah, but, you know, in my situation, it's justified. True or not true? Let's, let's be honest in here, okay? And, and we do what the lawyer just did, which is, oh yeah, that's a really clear command. And he's even the one who tells Jesus, yeah, this is, this, you know, this is how the law and the prophets are summed up. And he adds his little, yeah, but who's my neighbor, really? You know, when Jesus says, love your enemies, surely he doesn't mean those guys. When Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, surely he doesn't mean them, right? He doesn't mean Democrats, right? Um, or, or Republicans, however you might lean. But he doesn't mean those people. And, and I feel like Jesus many times, and many times th these are our favorite preachers, or the most popular preachers in America are good at taking the hard commands of Scripture and telling you, but the way you're living is really okay. Right? Those are some of the most popular preachers in the world. It's, they take those hard passages of Scripture and they tell you, but you know what? You're really okay, even though we're living in disobedience, even though we're not living according to the Scripture. And, uh, and compare that now with Ephesians chapter 5. Let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down a little bit further. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to, to verse 7. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Stop right there. Okay, that alone is a massive challenge, right? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay, um... You know, I, I heard one preacher who said, you know, you can obey the Ten Commandments and still be a jerk. Okay? You can obey the Ten Commandments. You can not commit adultery. You can not murder. You can, you can do all these other things and still be kind of a jerk. Okay? But when it comes to the command of Christ, which is, you know, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Right? That was what Jesus commanded. He said, you know, love one another and that would be easy enough, right? We could, we could make excuses for that. We could say, oh yeah, I'm loving them. I'm loving them. But then he adds that little tale to it as well, which is, as I have loved you, so you need to love one another. Ooh, now that hurts, right? Love each other the way that Christ loved us. And, and, you know, and that's the command that Paul later gives in Ephesians to husbands, that they're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Oof, man. That's a tough one. Okay, but now let's jump down to, to verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Paul has just kind of outlined a whole bunch of the ways of darkness, the ways that people used to live when they were living in darkness. And he says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, that lawyer was not trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He was trying to discern what is pleasing to him. Right? And he was trying to take what is pleasing to him 
and figure out, okay, here's a command from Scripture. How can I make this more palatable to myself? Right? Here, how can I make this love your neighbor more pal palatable to myself? Okay, let's erect some boundaries. And let's say, okay, this guy is my neighbor. This guy is not my neighbor. This guy's in, this guy's out. Because that way, at least I can say, oh, yeah, I'm loving my neighbor. Seeking to justify himself, he wanted to erect some boundaries and say, okay, well, where does this command of God actually apply? Where does it actually come into, come into its own? And rather than saying, wow, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and being convicted by that, falling on your knees and saying, God, I don't love my neighbor. Help me to love my neighbor. Rather than that, he tried to say, okay, well, let's, let's dig a little deeper into this passage. Let's figure out who is my neighbor actually. And I got to be honest with you guys, that many times that is how I read the Bible, right? I, when I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount, right now I'm, I'm going through Matthew, okay? I'm doing kind of a similar thing with, with going through the New Testament and then also going through the Old Testament at the same time. And I'm in Matthew right now, and sometimes Matthew just kicks my teeth in. Uh, with, with some of his commands, and it's just like, oh, that's hard, right? You know, if you have two cloaks, give to somebody who doesn't have one. Well, what if I've got five, right? I'm already past the two-cloak thing. Is there like a new rule once you get past two? And, um, and it's like, rather than, rather than being convicted by the word and, and changing my ways, I say, okay, well, how can I erect new barriers and live within those barriers? And we become kind of uh, compartmentalized, very compartmentalized in our life. And we, 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 our, our theology and our practice become two very separate and distinct things. And we have these areas or these boxes in our lives. And we have like the God box, the church box, the serving on Sunday morning box. And then we've got like the nine to five business week. And then we've got our home box. Then we've got our entertainment box. And we just kind of try and live within those boxes. We have our culture box, right? Which we don't want anybody to touch that one, okay? And uh, we, we have those things that we consider sacred. And, and God tries to come in and he tries to tell us how to, to live our lives in accordance with his love. And sometimes we, rather than listening to the word, we try and justify ourselves. And we say, mm, no thanks. I don't really want to do that. Um, you know, my, uh, my girls, it's, it's so fun to watch them when, they, when they're just starting to figure out, like, how to move their arms and stuff, right? And um, I remember with Leslie, uh, we were flying over from Hawaii to Minnesota to start traveling around and itinerating. And she had just learned how to put her pacifier in her mouth. But the only way she could do it was she had to bring her arm all the way out, run her pacifier down her face, and hopefully hit her, get it in her mouth. And if she missed, like if she got, went down her cheek or something, she had to go all the way back out again and come back in and run it down her face, and then she would get it in. And I, I'm, I kid you not, probably like five or six times she missed. And she would just have to go out, come back in, run it down her face, and get it. Um, and that's like, that's like compartmentalized, right? You know, the, the arm is not quite working right with the rest of the body, and, and the, the eyes can't quite see where that thing is. You don't know where your mouth is on your face, so you got to kind of just run it down until hopefully you find it. And, um, and that's what, I feel like 
many times in my own walk with Christ, that's how I'm, that's how I'm living, right? I've got like all my boxes are separated and I can't get my whole body to work together. I can't get my whole life to work together. In, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, it says this. Um, this is a very com- famous confrontation between Paul and Peter. Um, Paul here, he's writing to the Galatians and he's telling them about like the freedom that they have in Christ. And that before, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. All the walls have been broken down and what's left is one united people under God. And we're not divided by circumcision. We're not divided by obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. We're not divided by all these old these ways because now we're in a new covenant we've been made right with god through christ and because of that at the foot of the cross the ground is level and and but then paul after having kind of defended his ministry and his authority as someone being sent from god he says this in galatians chapter 2 verse 11 um and i'll read through uh through 16 it says this but when cephas that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, Paul was a little bit of a, a prickly fella, you know. He, he was probably not from the Midwest. He was probably more like a New Yorker, okay. And uh, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, Paul, uh, Peter... Before these people from Jerusalem showed up, he is eating with the Gentiles. He's having good fellowship with them. But then when these people who, were, who felt that the new Christians need to observe the Mosaic Law, when they arrived, Peter pulls back. Peter pulls back. And he's probably, in his mind, I'm guessing he's probably justifying this in his mind, right? Well, I don't want to offend them, right? I don't want to be a stumbling block to these brothers and sisters, so I'll just go along with um, their culture, right? I'll respect their culture. And, um, and Paul says, I stood up and I confronted him to his face in front of all of them. Uh, you know, th- there's an old saying that public sin needs public rebuke. Private sin needs private rebuke, right? So um, he goes and he says, and the rest of the Jews ap- acted hypocritically with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified or not brought into the family of God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 14, I think, is so key. It's such an important verse. Um, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I think that, that's really a, a good um, measuring stick, right, for our conduct in this world. Is my conduct in step with the truth of the gospel? The truth that I am a sinner saved by grace. I was, I was unlovely and God loved me. 
God generously gave himself for me, okay? Am I living in step with that truth? Or am I out of step with that truth, right? Where, where I've deemed that there are certain people who are too unlovely to be loved by God. Or, 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 um, or I don't treat my wife the way that she deserves to be treated because I'm having a bad day, right? Whereas Jesus gave himself up for us. I mean, I mean, you know, there's, there's a great place where, where Paul talks about this in Romans, Romans chapter 12. And this is a passage that, you know, we can probably quote from many, memory. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some, some uh, translations say your reasonable act of service or your reasonable act of worship, okay? And what he's saying there is, look, I've spent Romans chapter 1 through 11 outlining and laying out the beautiful, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, the mercies of God. And now because you've, you've gotten a view of this, in view of God's mercies, because we've seen the wonderful view, view of God's mercies, I appeal to you, offer your body up as a living sacrifice, it's your spiritual act of worship, or other translations, again, they say it's your reasonable act of worship. In light of God's love for us, this is reasonable to give up our bodies as living sacrifices. And not just, right, and, and notice he says bodies, too, right? Often we can be a little bit Gnostic, which means we kind of like tend to separate our spirit and our body. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible wants us to be holy, holy. Right? He wants the whole person to be holy. Which means, now, uh, and, and again, when we, talk about, um, when we talk about being holy, oftentimes we get the wrong picture. Right? I think kind of like looking down our noses at people and just kind of, you know, I'm better than you kind of a thing. And that's not what holy means at all. Uh, I, I think the best illustration I ever heard of what, what it means to be holy is just, it means you're fully dedicated to one person. Right? Or fully dedicated for one purpose. Holy unto the Lord. It means you live for the Lord, okay? Um, for example, you know, if, if I've got a toothbrush and I'm on a missions trip and I find out that somebody else has used my toothbrush, um, that's not okay. And in, mo in, in all likelihood, I'll probably just say, you know what, that's holy unto you now, right? That's yours. I don't even want that anymore, okay? My toothbrush is holy. It's, it's mine, Okay? If anybody else uses it, it's like, uh, no thanks, right? You don't want to share a toothbrush. And in the same way, God, he doesn't want to share us. He wants us to be holy, holy, okay? He wants us to be completely holy, completely given over to him. Completely, um, yeah, completely given to him. And yet we so often, we, we, we separate and we compartmentalize. And there was one church that was really good at this in the first century, and that was the Corinthians, okay? Corinthians were a messed up church. I'm sorry. They were a messed up church. They were, they were, they had all sorts of problems. And one of their problems was they were so spiritual, like they thought they were so spiritual because they had all these gifts. They had all these manifestations of the, of the Spirit. And yet, at the same time, they're divided, they're backbiting, they're fighting against each other. And Paul, in, Roman, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the first couple of verses there, he, he tells them, like, I couldn't even talk to you guys like spiritual people. 
I had to feed you with milk because you are carnal. Why? Because there's divisions. So here, here they are thinking, man, we are like the real deal when it comes to Christianity. We've got this hype, we've got this super freedom in Christ. We are seeing all these gifts of the Spirit amongst us. We are, you know, we're, we're speaking in tongues, we're prophesying. They're thinking we are like the super Christians. And Paul comes and he says, you guys are babies. Why? It's not because you can't speak in tongues. It's because you guys have divisions, because you're backbiting, because you're fighting against each other. It's because they were out of step with the gospel. Again, they had compartmentalized and they, they'd said, okay, we've got the gifts, therefore, we're good. And, and Paul says, nope, that's not true. And James does a very similar thing. James, throughout the book of James, he's, he's constantly saying like, things like, this shouldn't be so. Right? When he talks about the tongue, he says, you know, does, does salt water and fresh water come out of the same spring? And yet we use our tongue to curse people and to bless God. Right? That compartmentalization, that, that dis, dysfunction or dis, disunity between the body and the spirit. And saying, well, with my spirit, I bless God and I love him. But with your tongue, you're cursing people. You're, you're cursing man who is made in the image of God. And I, I really think that, you know, our witness as a church in the world suffers so greatly because of this thing. This one thing. You know, if we would just live live out the things that God is calling us to live out. If we would use our tongues, use our lives to glorify God. And if we would just drop our guard and stop trying to justify ourselves like the lawyer was doing. If we would just drop our guard and as we read through the Bible saying, man, that's not me. That's not me. Oh God, change me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, break in and, and transform me. And, and I, I love that you guys are reading through the New Testament together. I'd encourage you, if you haven't started, please do that. Please do that. And as you do it, do it differently this year. Don't go to it and try and make excuses for your behavior or, or make excuses for, for not obeying commands of God. But go to it um, and and. Asking yourself, how can I get more in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I become more in sync, more in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ through reading the word? And not throwing up our shields, not throwing up our hands and saying, yeah, 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 but who's my neighbor? Yeah, 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 but, but in which situation should I not turn the other cheek? Yeah, 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 but, you know, does he really mean that? Most likely he does. You know, hermeneutics is a great thing. Studying a passage in context, it's a great thing. Um, but, but many times we use that as just kind of a, a way out, a way to dodge out of obeying the simple commands of God. And, you know, um, I love what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said. He said, only those who obey believe. And only those who believe can obey. Okay? So there's not this, you know, sometimes in our Protestant thinking, we, we kind of try and separate the two, like obedience and being made right with God. Right, we're made right with God through believing in him, okay? But only once we believe him are we able to obey. And our obedience is a sign. It's a sign of the fruit 
of actually believing him. So only those who obey believe, and only those who believe are able to even obey. And, and so church, I, I, I don't feel worthy to preach this sermon. Because, like I said, I am, more often than not, I am that lawyer when I'm reading the scripture and trying to justify myself. But, but I, hope that, I hope that we will, will take seriously the words of Jesus Christ. And we'll take seriously what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercies, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. How are we able to do this? The only way is to view God's mercies more and more and more clearly. We have to focus on how much God has loved us and that's the only way that we'll be able to obey these commands. Because if I'm focused on, well, I've been made right with God because I'm a decent person, um, then I'm just going to go around judging all the other people who aren't decent people like me. But if I believe that I am an absolute wretch who has done nothing to deserve the mercy and love of God, um, then I'll really, really, truly believe that the, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So only as we view God's mercies, as we meditate on it, as we meditate on how great the Father's love is for us, can we be truly transformed, truly changed. And the beautiful thing is that we have the Holy Spirit who is there to help us. But it has to start with us opening up our hands, right? Bringing our hands down from this to this, right? Bringing our hands down from, whoa, 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 okay, who's my neighbor to, God, help me love my neighbor. I can't love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to. God, I can't do it on my own. Um, God, I can't love the way that you love. I can't love like, like you've loved me. And only through the Holy Spirit changing us can we actually take steps towards doing this. There's no way that you can just muster up the strength and say, well, I'm just going to do it. Mm -mm. It'll last maybe as long as your New Year's resolution, right? Till the beginning of February, if that, right? You know, the gyms, they always joke about how full the parking lots are in, uh, in January. And then come February, oh, there's lots of parking. Don't worry about it. Um, but, but only through the Holy Spirit can we do that. And only by viewing the mercies of God can we get in step with the gospel. Peter's problem was he lost sight of that. He started looking at the people around him. He started looking at the culture around him. And again, rather than being transformed by the scripture, he was being shaped by his culture. And too often we take the scriptures and we try and justify our culture rather than taking our culture to the scriptures and saying, what in here needs to go? You know, the problem with the prosperity gospel is it's, it's, just, it, <laughs> it's taking the scripture and bending it to culture, right? It's taking the American dream and calling that supreme and saying, okay, how can we take the Bible and make it justify my goal? How can I take the Bible and make it justify what I want? You know, it's, it, that's not crucifying the flesh. That's, that's feeding the flesh, if anything, right? It's all of my lusts, all of my wants, just taking all that and saying, okay, God, now bless it. And uh, so church, let us give our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable, it's our spiritual act of worship. And, and, Again, I'm so glad that, that you're going to be reading through the New Testament together. Do it and take it seriously. Do it and put your hands down. Do it and say, God, I need your help. 
God, transform me by your love so that I can love other people. Oh, God, help us. Would you stand with me? Oh, God, help us. Oh, God, have mercy. Oh, God, we are, in, we are absolutely incapable of obeying this word. There's no way that we can do this on our own. God, the only way that we can love the way you love is if your Holy Spirit comes and fills us and changes us. The only way that we can love is to gaze intently into your word and see how beautiful and wonderful Christ is. See the beauty and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Lord, teach us. Lord, show us. Lord, guide us in those moments where, where maybe we don't even know what the right thing is to do. Or maybe we don't even know what the wise thing is to do. But Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit does guide us through those situations. And we thank you that if we keep our eyes fixed on you, you will show us how to love our neighbor. You will show us who our neighbor is that we're called to love. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to put our hands down. To stop trying to justify ourselves in your sight. God, we can't justify ourselves. We are wretched sinners. We are wretched sinners. But God, we, we come before you and we, we, we repent. We just say, I'm not trying to cover for myself anymore in light of your word. I'm not going to try and bend your word to fit my life. God, bend my life to fit your word. I'm not going to try and manipulate your word so that it lines up with my goals. God, change me so that my goals line up with your will. God, we need you. We can't do this on our own. God, help us to be a church that, that is integrated, where every part of our life is lined up with your gospel, our entertainment, our politics, our conversations, what we do with our bodies on a daily basis. May every part of it line up with your word, God. Lord, we don't want to be babies who we think we're all that, but when it comes to the, when the rubber meets the road, we're just... We're still googling and gagaing when we should be preaching. Lord, help us. Change us, God. We thank you. We thank you that your word promises that we will be transformed. Thank you that it promises that as we renew our minds, you change us. You transform us. As we, as we get into your word, as we meditate upon your truth, God, that you change us. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, touch us. In Jesus' name, amen.